0: Welcome to the Reflect On podcast, where we embark on inspiring conversations filled with truth, vulnerability, and well, anything else that'll help us learn, grow, and live better lives. I'm your host, Kevin P. Murphy. Thank you so much for embarking on this reflection journey with me today. Now let's get right into it. Kirsi Maharaj loves bringing people together and challenges the boundaries of traditional human resources. She is the former recipient of Canada's top rising HR star award, but Kersey perhaps prides herself more on the personal progress she makes in life. I must confess that she is one of my closest friends, so I may be cheating a little bit here, but although our friendship is one where we see each other little, I seldom worry about the strength that it has. And it's mostly because of the conversations that Kersey and I have, which are exactly like the ones you're about to hear. We discuss how perfectionism can lead to procrastination, how a key to move forward is actually to connect your failures and successes rather than always attempting to separate the two, and Kirstie's eight-year journey of ignoring her body almost entirely. This journey includes something she calls the money doom loop, which entails the true cause of false pursuances, and includes the liberation we can feel by being vulnerable and honest with ourselves. There's also so much more to unpack and so much more to be excited about in this episode, Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen, and please enjoy this episode with Kirsi Maharaj.
1: The lady was saying that she was talking more about women versus men, but she was saying for women, usually we like think and we think and we learn by studying, consulting, and then when we feel like we're ready, then we do, whereas a lot of men learn by doing. And she was urging people... And she used the word like sloppily. Like even if you have to like sloppily do something, just do it because in that you will gain so much knowledge and you'll learn. So don't wait until there's like a finished product. And I only share this with you because I think you're also a very calculated and like very you're not a perfectionist, but like you want something to be proud of and you want something to be perfect by your standard. And that was a good piece of advice that I gathered, like just sloppily do something because you will learn exponentially more by doing than by thinking and studying. And that's what I try to do. That's what I'm trying to do. It's hard, but it is um, you do learn way more by doing.
0: I actually read it um, like maybe two or three weeks ago. And it's weird how it's something I always knew, I think, but I didn't actually digest, which was done is better than perfect. Done, yeah. done is better than perfect. And I actually ironically don't really believe that much in the word perfect, yeah. but interesting it depends on the context. Um, but in most cases i don't I don't really think it it exists. But yeah. I think inside of me, there's a part that thinks that before I do something or I launch something or and all those surrounding forces, external forces start to creep in that I think that that's where some realm of perfection comes in. Right. But totally. you can't, you can't actually climb the ladder of the journey of increasing any skill really until you actually take action. I always, I always heard, or I've read in a book that, as well. It's limitless by Jim quick, but it's knowledge is not power. Knowledge times action equals power, right. Or potential power.
1: Yeah. So. yeah. And they say that most people, they don't have like a skills problem or a competency problem. They have a execution problem. And for me, I had to also go deep. And when I was exploring, like, why am I not starting this uh, socials channel, this Instagram, this TikTok channel, like, why am I not creating content? And for me, it was totally like digging deep and it was an ego thing. And I was like, well, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to do something and it flop. For my whole life, I've, I've been like someone who excels and somebody who values excellence. So being vulnerable was something that would be close to my ego and that was stopping me from just going and not trying and then when I had to like again reflect and think about it I thought there was this other video I heard and it was like somebody who is way less competent is going and is doing before you are and they're getting ahead from a first movers perspective like I hate to I hate to hate on people but do you watch the the Nelk boys do you know the Nelk boys
0: I've heard of them. I don't actually watch very much of them, but I've heard of them.
1: So Jaden had showed me this, this concept and they pretty much they're I think one of them's from Canada and they started a YouTube channel like forever ago where they're just being kids. They're, they're, you know, uh, doing stunts, they're playing jokes on each other, but they started a YouTube channel forever back. And now they've transformed it into like a, a beer company. They've transform their following also into more of like an interview style, um, YouTube. And when you watch them, like the poor guys, they don't have any interview experience. They're just (laughs) guys who are used to, uh, chirping each other. And then they have guests on now. And when I watched that, I was like, they've got, they, they've interviewed like Elon Musk. They've interviewed Donald Trump, like these big people. And they've got millions and millions of views. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. They just started. That's it. They started and they benefited from years and years of practice and learning and building followers slowly but surely. And this is where they are. So it didn't really require, and I don't want to hate on them. I'm sure there's a ton of skill behind it, but they just did. And they capitalized on a first mover's advantage. So it's like, again, somebody who's less competent, who's less organized, who's less thoughtful is doing it. Just, just go, just do it, just jump in and see where it takes you.
0: Yeah, so such a good point. It actually, when you were saying that, I was thinking of something else as well, which yeah. is the relationship between failure and success and how we define yeah. it. Now, of course, it's subjective definitions to all of us. But one of the things I've realized is that it doesn't have to be a versus in regards to One is so bad. Mm -hmm. One is so good. One has to be bad or good. They, they can just be neutral and, and, and subjective to what you define them as. But more than even that is they can actually be together and correlated and in a relationship. What I mean by that is that failure is the price of admission to success. And we, and we actually don't fail until we try at something.
1: And, I think the hard part is, is that we live in this era where people celebrate their successes and people are starting to, again, be more vulnerable about their failures and be more open in the hopes to help other people. But there's typically no successful entrepreneur that hasn't failed at a venture before, right? Like these are just stats, but we don't see that. So I think we're typically scared by this, as you said, this failure, but I don't think that if you, if you don't embrace failure, you can't succeed. And it's not like people will ever be not scared of failure or like, let me fail today, right? But if you don't embrace the idea that you could fail, I don't think that you'll take a big enough swing or you'll move with the same type of energy to be successful. Do you know what I mean? If you're if you're scared, you might move very slowly and very incrementally instead of moving with the speed and the emphasis that you need to actually be successful.
0: It sounds like almost what you're saying is you need to coexist that re- or cultivate that relationship with failure and understand that is it's a necessity. It, it really is. It is the predecessor to learning. It is the ability to move forward and you can't experience it until you actually do something.
1: Exactly. I've been studying, you know, I love psychology, right? And whether it's from work or just like humans that I like to learn and observe and read about but i believe that that fa- that fear of failure comes from like a sense of self and a lot of these things come from when we're children where if you mm-hmm. failed at something you spilt the cup your parents got upset with you And again, that doesn't mean they don't love you, but when you're a child, you're like, oh my goodness, like I've done something to interrupt or interfere with that relationship with the person that I love who's supposed to take care of me. And really early on, we start, like we start getting afraid of, oh my goodness, if I drop something, if I break something, if I jump, I start climbing and I fall, I'm going to get in trouble or my mom's going to be mad at me. And that's when we start that sense of self gets attached to this idea that like I don't want to upset or fail and I think as adults you can reteach yourself that like I am a whole person I love myself I have people around me that love me and if I fail that doesn't change anything obviously I mean like there's this caveat of not harming other people or yourself but if I make a mistake or if I fail the sense of self that I have does not change. It's a core. It's a unit, that sense of safety and love I have for myself, it doesn't change. And I think that's like at the core, if you can reestablish that within yourself, people are way less scared of, of, uh, of failure.
0: Yeah. Very, very well said. I'm actually curious and it, it sort of hovers around that But I know you went on slash on the journey and and we can talk more about current and work and stuff later, but I really wanted to focus with you today on your most recent venture of leaving your last job. Tell me how the process worked for you in regards to looking within the self and looking at things like having the courage, looking at things like facing the consequences, facing the failures that might come. Tell me how that process went for you and how you were actually able to overcome it and, and work through it.
1: I think it's important to start with like my baseline because, you know, you know, me for the last, well, really for the last seven years, eight years coming on that I've been working, I've gathered a sense of self, a sense of purpose through work. And that's a beautiful thing, right? Like not many people find work that they love so much that it makes them feel like they're making the world a better place. Right. Or like they get the opportunity to be so excited about work that they give their all to work. Right. So see that as a privilege. And that's been the case for again, the, the better part of the last seven years of my career. So for me, I always saw work as like something that was helping me progress. That was my main thing of helping me progress. And I was doing that the more effort and energy I put towards work, really the more return I was getting. So I was in this gamified system of like great like I push really hard I earn more I push really hard I get promoted and I think what ended up happening and and what led me to the space that I did was that my body started giving me signs of like you're exhausted like you're pushing hard and you know you might be getting those career accolades you might be earning more money you know your father Is proud of you. You know, these are the things that I was like, oh, great. Like, I'm working towards those. Your definitions
0: of success at that point, right? Fair to say that?
1: Exactly. Yes. Like, all of the things that, you know, I, I had the flexibility and the funds to be able to travel the world and, you know, do some of these things that I've always been wanting to do really early on in my life. And I never thought I'd have the ability to do that. But then my body was just so clearly being like, you need to stop. And I ignored it for so long i i, I kind of fell into the like um i started calling it the the money doom loop where i was <clears throat> so i was earning more money but then i was stressed out about work and then i said okay my my skin's getting bad i'm getting like stress acne but guess what i can afford to go to a really good dermatologist and I can go afford to go and get like facials and procedures done. Fabulous. Okay. So I need to make more money to be able to continue this loop. And then the, the more money I make, the more stressed I get, the more time I don't have to eat healthy, the more I eat out. Okay. But if I make more money, then I can actually afford to get a, a cleaner so that I can focus on it. And it just keeps looping. It was for me, the more money, more problems type of situation. And really what happened was the sign just became like unignorable. And when I relocated to Australia, which was a a big, big move, it was so glaring that I was, you know, waking up at 4.45 most days, um, starting meetings at 5am so that I would overlap enough with Canada to have meetings. And I did that for about two, two months straight almost before I was like, I am absolutely at my Like I have nothing in the gas tank, like absolutely nothing. And I went on vacation to Bali for a week and I sat and I just cried on the beach. I just cried and I cried and I cried. And I I realized that that was my body, like for the first time processing and feeling everything that I went through in the last three years. And a week wasn't enough time, (laughs) but um, (laughs) I came back from that vacation and I said, I, I had a call with my amazing therapist. And she asked me point blank, she goes, you know, okay, yes, you're you're pushing, you're getting all of these wins, but at what cost? And that really stopped me. And I thought, well, what do you mean? What cost? Like I'm earning more money, you know, like there there is no cost. And she goes, No, what's the cost on your relationships, on your health, on your happiness? on you adjusting and living in this beautiful place, but you don't have the energy to go outside because you're just, you're pushing yourself to your limit. And that was the question Uh that was like, I don't want to be grumpy to my partner. I don't want to be like, give nothing to my family, my friends, let alone myself right? Like I want to, I don't want to look back at my time in Australia and say, I sat at my desk and I worked like a good worker. And that was the, that was enough for me to have the courage to say, thankfully, I was in a, in a space where I had worked so many, I was working two jobs and I had enough savings to say, I have no plan, but I'm just going to let go because I know that this is not for me anymore. And it took me moving to Australia to realize that I needed to take a break But it was really when I quantified it at at what cost that I I found that courage um, and said, it's not worth the purpose. I can find purpose in different ways. It's not worth the cost to the relationships that I've got. And that really switched something in my brain.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible story. I want to focus actually on something you mentioned near the end there, which was taking that leap. And before I get there, though, I know... You mentioned something about cost. It's really interesting because I was actually listening to it earlier this week. I was listening to Simon Sinek. He was saying that everything has a cost. Everything has a cost. To to define it, it's interesting how we we hear the word cost, we hear the word wealth, we hear the word success. 99% of people in developed countries, societies tend to just go to monetary. And it's it's no secret. (laughs) but it's almost as if we've all been moved by this spell or a lot of us rather. I don't want to speak and generalize too much, but it's the same process you were learning about how we've been conditioned as a child. We've conditioned that, that, that's also a metric of success or metric of yeah. cost and, and, and a metric of wealth and sometimes the only one. And it's, it's, it's really interesting how all of those three words, wealth, cost, and success, money, is a catalyst for those things and can be, and can be in the conversation. But oftentimes when people, you know, have enough of it to to actually get the discretionary spending and things like that, that they need, then they, they don't really need any more. Right. At least that's what Mm -hmm. I'm learning now.
1: Yeah. And there used to be, um, I'm sure it's changed given inflation and things like this, but there used to be a number where there was a study done where Mm -hmm. sure you've seen it. If you make over, I've always called it like hundred K, I think it was 80 K before, but if you make more than a hundred K enough for you to be, you know, pay your bills, have a home, buy some groceries, just like cover the necessities and maybe a little bit more then making more money on top of that does not have a step function to happiness. But I think the most important thing you said is that I think it's through marketing. I think it's through like, you know, looking at celebrities with their cars and they're this and they're course. that we see this wealth or being rich as equated with money. But as you said, and, and Simon Sinek was talking about it, it's energy, right? Like what about your happiness? What about your, you know, your family? What about your health? Right. Mm-hmm. Which we know is at question all the time now. Um, but what about all those other things that make you a rich, successful, wealthy person? We don't always think about those things immediately. And I think it's because of marketing and society and what we value Um, It has a big emphasis on money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you walked us along the journey there really well, um, right until sort of the edge of the cliff, so to speak. (laughs) And I want to understand right in those moments, you talked about how you went into your body. And it sounds like, and I'm actually experiencing this myself through therapy, Mm -hmm. but it Mm -hmm. sounds like you actually started listening to your body it's almost as if your body actually was sending signals the whole time but they were in your subconscious you weren't listening before you actively started listening to your body yeah Um, you know there's many ways to put it but that's how i see it and i want to understand when you actually decided you put in you put in your resignation you knew that you had no plans the fear of that might have leaked in Walk me through what your body was speaking to you at that point and throughout that next process.
1: The funny thing was, and I'd like to say I'm pretty in tune with my body. And though I was, you know, ignoring a lot of signs, I could still, it was still trying to communicate with me. And as soon as I was talking to, to Jaden, or obviously my boyfriend, and I was like, look, like just even saying that I'm going to quit just it it releases so much of that tension that was on top of me. It it didn't even mean that I I had to quit, right? Like I, I hadn't even talked to my boss yet. But as soon as I made that decision in my head, Kirstie, this is actually the time you are going to quit and you are going to move on and you're you might give a longer notice, whatever, and you might continue to work for another month. But as soon as I said it out loud and I made that decision in my heart, my body, like I I felt like I was smiling all the time. Right. And like, and I ended up giving about a month notice and those five AMs, I was like, it's okay, but there's an end to this. Like I I can do this. And my body already started thanking me. And I, I immediately felt that relief as soon as I said it out loud, I talked to my boss. So, but that feeling, it wasn't short lived, but really quickly that like logical side in me thought, Oh my God, what am I going to do? The fear, the fear, it started and and it was almost, I want to call it discomfort. The discomfort came in because I have not been in a situation again. I'm privileged in the sense that I've always gone from job to job. I've always had an option available to me. And very soon after I thought, oh my God, the panic, the discomfort came in. And I said, what am I going to do? how am I going to explain this to my network? Like I quit. Am I going to tell them that I burnt out? What is the company going to think of me? What's my family going to think of me? All of that like external discomfort started coming in and I started almost shutting down. And so what ended up happening was I would work and I would be sleeping a lot. I would nap during the day. My, I also got sick, whether that's a coincidence or not, but my body was like, rest, you need to rest. You can't start thinking about the fear, the anxiety, the the judgment, you need rest right now. So I was quite literally off, like knocked off my feet. I was sick for about two weeks. And then Jaden, my partner got sick for two weeks. So we were really just focusing on the bare minimum for a month almost. And That was my body being like, sorry, you do not have time to think about the fear and try to go interview and apply in different places because you need that deep, deep rest. And obviously I was nervous at the time thinking like, am I really going to not do anything, not do anything, but do less for a month? And how is that going to impact my job search? How is that going to impact me? But it, it just intuitively felt like that's what I needed to do. And I tried to honor that, like I tried to honor it as best as I could, and yeah, that's that's what my body was telling me.
0: You know what I love about that is that we hear a lot of stories about people liberating themselves from quitting their jobs, and you know, happiness at your job or your work or your craft, whatever you're doing, is obviously subjective as well. But it's so it's it's so in the mainstream, in my opinion, of quitting their jobs and someone quitting their job and then they they have all of this liberation and this feeling and all these weights are lifted. And it sounds like what what I'm hearing you say is that you you got that experience, but it was almost naive to think that that was going to be everlasting. And obviously a lot of people go through that journey when they go through, as you did, when they don't have anything to move to next. But that not moving to next is also something that causes us to not jump off that cliff sometimes as well. And and so why do you think so many of us, even knowing that there's this potential liberation and all these other fears and things like that, even if the people who decide they aren't really happy, why do you think so many of us hold back on taking those next steps? Is it what we've already talked about? Is it money? Is it just fear? Is it more than that? What do you think it is?
1: I think there's two things. And, um, I was reading this book called the body keeps score and pretty much, um, I think I told you about this, but it, it takes a very scientific approach towards healing, which I love because so many people say, Oh, you know, healing is it's very woo hoo, but there's, there's scientific studies that really confirm a lot of the more ancient healing practices. So I think there's two things. In one of the studies, they had a, a dog that was being abused, okay? Mm-hmm. So they studied this dog. The dog is being abused. And when the cage opens, and so so the, the dog is somewhere else, the cage opens. And it has an option to take a clear path back home where it is going to be abused. It knows it's going to be abused or go somewhere else. And the dog, I think it was like 10 times out of 10 always goes back home because it is a comfortable path. It is known, and um, someone gave me this hideous phrase, it's the devil you know, when you're talking about work. This is the devil that we know. And so out of habit and out of comfort, we are going to go back to that situation, regardless if it's serving us, if it's healthy, You know, we're gonna go back to it because it's comfortable, it's familiar, we know the people there, we know to expect abuse, whatever the case is. So it's out of comfort making that switch to turn right into the unknown is so uncomfortable that I believe people don't make the choice because they they were just creatures of habit. And again, embracing the unknown, embracing the greener pastures is something that people don't typically do because of that habit. So that's one thing that I've seen from like a scientific psychology approach that I believe, but I do also believe, and this was my case that A lot of high performers, a lot of them are anxious. And a lot of people that have a ton of stuff on the go, they're hiding from something. They're hiding from a trauma Mm. that they didn't heal from previously. They're hiding from overthinking. They're distracting themselves from something. And when you think about it, we live in a distracted world where you can sit on your phone for an hour and just consume things get your little
0: dopamine hit continue to move on it's a distraction it's it's comfort
1: exactly so for me personally work and having an outlet for me to pour 85 percent of my energy was a distraction from some of the things that I didn't want to face some of the things that I didn't process and it was really uncomfortable when I would sit for eight hours during the day, you know, my partner's working, he's doing his habits and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting in my thoughts and I'm sitting in things that I feel uncomfortable with. And it's almost like it's, it's me versus me in my head. And for a long time, I was anxious. I was having like ruminating thoughts and I was struggling. And most people to avoid that discomfort, they'll just keep working or they'll jump into the next thing. Almost like subconsciously, I don't think it's a, a conscious decision that for most people that I'm hiding from something, so I'm just going to distract myself. But that's another reason why, at least for me, I know that I um, was fearful because I knew that there was a lot of things that I needed to process and work on that I was able to, you know, distract myself from through work. So those are two things that I can relate to, and and definitely I've seen.
0: Yeah, really well said. Even for myself, I totally agree with both, but especially even the second has become recent in my, in my life that I've actually started to realize as well a lot more. And what I mean by that is the example I always go back to is when I have time, as crazy as it sounds, I want to clean. I want to clean. And what I've evolved it into is cleaning. Even today, cleaning, I was cleaning the works, my workspace, to make uh-huh. sure that I was setting up my ecosystem properly. Right. So it actually felt like I was doing something proactive towards my goals of what I'm trying to pursue on the, pursue on the creative side. Right. But sometimes I just clean mindlessly and it's great to have a clean house, but there's a, a list of three to five to 10 easily things that I could actually be doing. And the cleaning is a distraction. So just exactly. an example, an example, right. But it's, but it, mm-hmm. but it's so true with, with everything you said, I want to I want to ask you just in the interest of time, I want to ask you one final question at the very least. So I asked you this before, but given how much it's evolved in terms of how you have you have evolved over the last several months, I want to ask it to you again. And it's the wisdom bites question. So hypothetical scenario. But imagine that you somehow had a way to look envision, and actually see all of the wisdom that you've accumulated, even in this recent experience that we're talking about, especially that, but without having a recency bias, everything in your life, all of the wisdom, you're looking at it on a wall. You can notice it. You can digest it. And then it all goes away. Mm. It's gone. But you have now, have three pieces of wisdom that you can move forward with for the rest of your life. What are those three pieces of wisdom for you?
1: Okay. Let me go. Let me fire from the top of my head. I think what I've realized is um, our thoughts are powerful. Our words are powerful. And I used to pick my words carefully, but now even my thoughts like tend your thoughts and your words as if they were like a beautiful, pristine garden because those are the seeds that you will plant and that will impact your future. So I would say words, thoughts, be kind to yourself, you know, like, it's just, it's really important. So I'd say that I would say that, and I'm going to try to articulate this in a way that makes sense, but like maybe two things can be true at the same time. Two opposites Mm. can be true at the same time. Like this could be hard, but you also are having fun. I think I've had to realize that I this over here can be true and something that I've learned in my past experiences can be true, but also something else can be true at the same time, especially when you are growing and, and navigating new situations. So I hope I articulate that properly, but right. two things can be true at the same time, even if they are in conflict.
0: Right. Number uh, three?
1: Number three, surrendering as in like letting go, is the scariest, but the most rewarding thing you can do. I'm just gonna say it like that. Surrendering is the scary, like literally taking your hands off the proverbial wheel is the scariest thing, but the most rewarding thing you can do for yourself.
0: That's powerful. Okay, one final question. What do you need to reflect on more?
1: My progress and my wins. Yeah, my progress and wins and celebrate those. every step of a climb is a step forward.
0: Thank you very much for spending time with me on the Reflect On podcast today. If you found this episode enjoyable or inspiring, please share it with those who it may help and leave a positive review so that we can grow together. Until next time, reflect onward and keep moving forward.